X-Ray. At long last, it's the Beervana Show. <laughs> Broadcast occasionally in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. Uh, we join you from Southeast Portland in uh, Studio Central. Yeah, in the, in the deep cold of winter. Actually, it's less cold now. It's even, there's a tiny bit of sun out there. Yeah. Uh, but I'm Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University. And with me is the now famous Jeff Allworth, well-traveled author of the Beer Bible, second edition, newly released and flogged all around the U.S. by... And, that's right, indeed. By uh, you. By me. I Which don't... is why we haven't seen each other in months. That's right. <laughs> not only have we had not podcast, but we haven't seen each other in months. It's true. I, I brought you a beer yesterday, and it was the first time I'd seen you in forever. Yeah. It, it struck me then how long it had been, because, I don't know, time flies when there's so much chaos, which is my life. Yeah, I know. We <laughs> Not only was I out doing stuff, but I I haven't even heard the story, but I've, I've heard intimations that you've also had an eventful fall. So Oh, yeah. That's... See, this is why pubs were invented right. and beer was invented. I'll <laughs> tell you, I'll tell you, you've got about four or five hours. I can tell you all of my misadventures over the last couple of months. Uh, luckily, though, for you and for me, we've still avoided the coronavirus. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coronavirus free, which is kind of amazing. Is remarkable, considering how many planes you got on. And how I, many I counted it. It was 17 flights that I took. And... I don't know, something like 20 cities and many, many pubs. Yeah. The odds were high that you would get the coronavirus, but you didn't. So good for you. Or you did and you did, you got asymptomatic case. Yeah. Nicely vaxxed. That's possible. Although I do think that, uh, if you observe the protocols, um, you're less likely to get it if you were, if you mask when it's appropriate. Uh, and I do think craft beer is a pretty good space. So when yeah. I was hanging out with people and talking to them, they were always vaccinated. So, um, that wasn't necessarily true when I was signing books, I couldn't verify that everybody had been vaccinated, but for the most part, I think it was pretty safe. Um, yeah, I'm so, more thinking like the plane with the dude with his mask down. Yeah. I saw behind, little, behind you or something like that. Yeah. I saw a little bit of that and I was, I was curious uh, whether I was going to be on one of those flights where we had a, an incident and we had to like land. <laughs> yeah, to like help other people wrestle some intransigent. Yeah. I didn't see any of that, to the ground and, and hog tie them with zip ties. Yeah. It never happened. Waiting for that to happen. That'd be fun. There was, there was one passenger that I, I had my eye on. She was, uh, <laughs> did you wear a, uh, we could say this for our other uh, podcast, Life During COVID, but right. did you wear an N95 mask on the flights or were you just doing cloth? I just was doing cloth. Ooh, uh, wow, you were just risky, man, living on the edge. I, well, it's a double it's a double thick cloth and I feel like it does pretty good. It, All right. Well, yeah. apparently. Yeah, exactly. Proof's in the pudding, man. That's right. Anyway, it's exciting to be back here. Uh, as I said, it's it been just it's an exciting. pouring down rain for days and days and days and days. So yeah. much so that I've started to build my ark in the backyard. Uh, but suddenly, the sun popped out as I was driving over here to Studio Central, a.k.a. your dining room. But, but I see that there's a big black cloud yeah, there. I almost so crashed. kind of fighting. Because I wasn't prepared for the sun. Dazzled by the sun. I almost crashed my car, but I uh, made it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, this is, this is uh, we've talked about this at length. But the big difference in our weather due to climate change, I think, is just this more intense Rather, we used to it used to be constant drizzle, and now it's just big 
massive rain for a week. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's been good. I mean, I think people have even heard the news. Uh, the West Coast has gotten a lot of snow up in the mountains, which is great. But if it gets warm again, like it did last year in May, and all that snow melts immediately, then it's not a big benefit. Yeah. But for in the, the moment, meantime, I'm planning to hit the slopes. I'm gonna go soon. That's right, man. It's there's the slopes is packed. I'm, I'm going. We talked about going tomorrow, but uh, it's still kind of messy. Everything's a bit of a mess because it's still, still snowing and raining. So I might just wait till next week. Yeah. And it's weird because we had this momentary again people love this this talk of our, you know this fine, is why they tune in <laughs> fine analysis of our uh, <laughs> is this uh, why this is why that 15 second ahead button on podcast was invented <laughs> that's true come on man it's marginal true. cost is almost zero just hit that button <laughs> we'll get to the beery talk the thing about the beery talk is this and i'll i'm gonna admit this up, up front which is i really haven't been imbibing very much beer lately you've obviously been a wash in all kinds of beer from all over the country, so that's good. So you'll you'll uh, you'll keep up your end of the bargain. Me, not so much. I mean, I've been back now uh, for a little while, and I know what you mean. I haven't been going out anywhere near like I used to, especially. Uh, and we'll get to this in a minute because of the current state of the pandemic. Um, but also, yeah, I, I'm a little bit kind of worn out from beer. Yeah, I can imagine. Beer. Well, most of my beery adventures come from the fact that you hand me a bunch of stuff that you get sent from far and wide which is great so usually my fridge has all kinds of interesting little nuggets i can grab but it's been a while it's been a while so my fridge doesn't have much in it at all yeah it's got a little uh let's see right now it's got a little zoigel house pills and uh a couple of guinness Ooh, guinness that was all the way back from when we had it on the pod so that's, oh my god yeah i know i gotta got i gotta get to drinking that stuff that just shows you how little i'm i'm drinking and uh, I got an abominable ale because it's out now. The the Hopworks winter. So there you go. That's that's my my fridge. Well, bereft. So I so send beer to Jeff so he can give it to me. Everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as you might imagine, uh, audience. Uh, since all has been quiet for months here at the Beervana podcast, we've missed a lot of important happenings. So as a part of getting caught up, we thought it would be good to review the key events of the past few months and discuss their implications. And maybe we'll hear a little bit about Jeff's travely travels in the interim. Uh, so buckle up and let's start with the news. Well, we have to start with the obvious news that hangs over all other news, and that is the latest variant of coronavirus, Omicron. You say Omicron or Omicron? How do you say it? Uh, I say Omicron. Yeah, I do too. But you're allowed to say Omicron if you like. Yes. I've I followed the the uh, grammar nerds going crazy about this, and I've read a whole bunch about uh, where it comes from and how it's pronounced in ancient <laughs> Greek, and I clearly have way too much time on well, I would like you to give us the ancient Greek pronunciation, please. <laughs> the, you, it's been it's been uh, it's been a minute since I read all that okay. stuff. Okay, well, our Greek listeners can fill us in, but That's I'll right. just say that I never even knew there was any other way to pronounce it because in economics when we use you know Greek letters all the time for our mathematical notation, uh, it's uh, I've never heard anyone say other anything else than omicron. So, but they pronounce those things differently, like our English, sure. like your English kin, they say theta and stuff like that. Well, this is true. That's so. true. I'm thinking of Americans saying Omicron. I wonder what. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, <laughs> that's our third podcast. Adventures <laughs> in the pronunciation of Greek letters. Uh, confirmed cases uh, as as we record this, 
um, the first week of January are have ridden, risen to 250,000 daily, uh, and the trend is headed straight up. And of course, that is uh, confirmed cases uh, in a in a country where we don't have very many. Uh, good tests, so it's probably way higher than that. No, uh, the testing thing is completely ridiculous and inexcusable and just infuriating. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, when I was on my tour, uh, I it was actually, I, I hit a little my tour was mostly October and a little bit into November, and mm-hmm. I hit this little seam in, in the terrible stuff. So yes. uh, Delta was coming down and Omicron hadn't hit yet. And I was I was safely back home uh, with only a couple more trips. Um, I did a New York trip right as Omicron was taking off, and that was a little bit hairy. Uh, but but for the most part, it was pretty safe time. And now it's not safe at all. Things are crazy, um, and they're yeah. So you know we're we can talk a little bit about maybe you can talk about the economics. The jobs report just came out today, and uh, you know there's it's did it, what did it say? I've been in a meeting all morning. Uh, hundred and ninety nine thousand new jobs really? lower than That's expected. It? Yeah, uh, supposed to be twice as many. Yeah, people really thought because the ADP report came out yesterday, the day before, and it was really high. So, but those things get revised. I bet they'll get revised way up. Yeah, it Still. It, it did say that the unemployment rate dropped to three point nine percent, even though there's fewer people in the job market. And is that why that That's is? That's why yeah. exactly because okay. the the unemployment is uh, uh, the denominator is the number of job seekers. Gotcha. So that's a big narrative. People just dropping out of the job market right now. It's kind of it's a little bit indic- uh, 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 illustrative of how many um, sort of I don't know what the term there is a term in economics I'm sure but I'm blanking uh, but I'll call them voluntary workers worker, workers who could or could not work um, maybe teenagers or second income earners in a household don't you know uh, there's a lot more maybe flexibility than you might have realized uh, we might have realized in the past perhaps or maybe it's just people being nervous about omicron yeah i mean this omicron thing is interesting so it it seems like we learned from the first two years of this whole disaster that uh it really hits certain segments and you and i were talking about flights uh before we we went live and how they're all screwed because there's not enough people to man to you know for crews so that's you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that segment's getting hit very hard, and that means that people are going to stop taking flights. So even when the crews come back in, there will be a lag time where people are not taking flights for a while. And, uh, yeah. and you know, I, I, we're going to hopefully go to a pub after this so we can talk about our lives and get caught up. And I will not be shocked if there's very few people in that pub because yeah. I've noticed that they just had to shut down. down our local public high school because our neighborhood public high school because of staffing issues. And I know my wife's in public uh, grade school and they're preparing because they have very little ability to cover staff absences and so it only takes a few teachers and, and they'll have to go remote which sucks um, right but needs must uh, yeah uh, hopefully we'll follow the same pattern that other countries seem to be following which is a huge spike followed by a very quick decrease and it does seem that Omicron's a lot less serious a disease for most yeah. people so to to think a uh, uh, piece of good news, it did strike me this morning as I was reading the newspaper that uh, can you imagine if Omicron was as serious as Delta, for example? Yet you know whatever five, six, ten times more transmissible. Yeah, it would be really um, horrendous right now. So you know, let's let's uh, let's uh, thank goodness for little miracles. Indeed. All right, uh, and by the way, I know that it's um 
it's a tough time. It, January is not a great time for pubs and restaurants anyway. And with Omicron, that makes it even worse. And with staffing issues, even worse. So uh, spare a thought for your local uh, brewer, brew pub, and think about ways in which you could support them, I would say, during this time. Maybe get a takeout, maybe get some beer. Yeah, yeah. And restaurants and everything else. Yeah, and restaurants too. But this is a beer podcast, so who cares? Right. Who cares <laughs> if they serve beer, they're all right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. In November, the largest aluminum can manufacturer, the Ball Corporation, announced that it was upping its minimum order to five truckloads of cans for a single SKU or beer label. That's a million can order. Oregon Senator Ron Wyden interceded this week, and this week, sorry, excuse me, uh, Ball announced that it was delaying implementation of this new rule until March. So this has been massive. I've been talking to brewers about this and, um, five truckloads yeah five truckloads so as a background you already had to order a lot of cans so yeah. if you have a can uh you, you have a beer and you're selling your ipa your flagship ipa mm -hmm. that's one skew right. uh one label mm -hmm. so now you have to if you want if you want balls to send you labeled cans mm -hmm. you have to buy a million of them right and then if you want to do it for your uh, pale ale you have to buy another million yeah and every and down the line so and it's crazy amount of yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. That basically means that craft brewers, uh, except for extremely large ones, are are not going to be able to work with balling. Yeah. Consider the uh, the implications, uh, not on a financial side, but purely on a space side. Imagine these are cans that have to come, uh, uh, what uncrushed, right? They're fully they're fully realized cans, so they come on big pallets. And think about how much space you need to store that many cans. Yeah, and what's amazing? Nobody has that much space. Well, no, and and it's really like, <laughs> I wonder if we could go back in time and brewers who shifted to cans, uh, which basically everybody now uses yeah. cans. If they two years ago, if they could look forward to this moment and see that can, yeah. there's going to be this big can problem. Um, whether that would happen, I don't know. Yeah. So by the way, I have this question because I was admiring a can recently that had a label applied. So it was a blank with a label, which gets you out of this problem of pre-printed cans right that's get you out there, of it there are ways to get around this yeah but i was i'm wondering why what the the benefit of a pre-printed can is is it cheaper because i don't think it's any less nice to have a nice label wrapped around it it is cheaper right. so you uh it's it's cheaper to do it that way if you do it if you do a, if you put a label onto it mm -hmm. you have to print those labels out it's a whole extra cost yeah. and those labels can be pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, there's that shrink wrappy thing, uh, yeah. the plastic shrink wrappy thing, also a cost. And I th and I don't know so much about how you get those on the can, but that's a whole another thing. Yeah. Um, and neither of those are nearly as environmental. Like the, some many of the environmental advantages go away when you put <laughs> shrink wrap plastic around the outside of yeah, it. Yeah, so. I'm not a fan of the shrink wrap, but I think the paper labels are fine, like the ones that wrap all around. I understand you can't do the entire every inch of the can, but. By the way, it, you might have put this down below, but I don't read the scripts ahead of time, nor nor even during the podcast. The listeners Often. are well aware of this. <laughs> uh, have you, did you see the little thing? You know the little four-top uh, or six-pack uh, plastic toppy things that you put on the cans? Absolutely, yeah. And those plastics are terrible because you can't recycle and all that. But they've got a paper version now. And there's been a debate. Oh, it's down here? Uh, no. no it's been, there's been a debate about how good these are, but some people have claimed that there's versions that are really good. And some people say there's versions that just turn to pulp and the cans fall off and stuff. Yeah. So I was pointing to you because I was going to say, you know what brewery uses these that, uh, that I really love? The Guinness Brewery of 
Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, uh, good I got for a, them. I got a four pack, and they're quite durable. Um, it's I don't know what the tech is, but they're because uh, it's it's fairly thin. Like when you feel it, it feels thin, right. but they're really sturdy. They don't flop well around. Well engineered. Yeah, they're well engineered. Um, Beautiful. And I yeah, I think they could uh, easily, you know, be it. I I don't know how easy they are to support, like getting them on the can yeah. and all that business, but. Uh, That's sweet. I wonder. I guess the main engineering challenges if you've got like sweaty beer cans uh are they going to oh you're giving like weird gas face sorry um what the listener doesn't know is we're sitting right next to each other but this is going into the internet and when the audio comes on in my ears i get really confused i accidentally turned my mute off so i was hearing you in two places Uh, i I got all confused yeah i know because there's a there's a big delay there's about a I don't know, one or two seconds delay <laughs> if you have. So I, we take our hand, headphones off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if it's sweating, if you have a sweaty can and it's and it's getting the paper wet, that's like. That's yeah. And these, these, have, challenge. these have been like waxed Coated. or something. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that affects their recyclability. But anyway. I don't think so because it felt like, like cardboard, you know, like yeah. it sometimes has that coating. I, anyway, it, it seems like a, a really good solution. So I was pretty psyched about that and because i have that relationship with the brewery uh, on my blog i was proud of my my sponsor to step up and take the lead on yeah that. well it's also important for big breweries to sort of help lead the way because that lowers costs for everybody else Ooh. external economies of scale if you want to know the economics term of art Ooh, yeah when nice. one firm does a lot of something that can lower the cost for other firms which is maybe what people thought was going to happen with cans and then that didn't happen because they got screwed because there's only one supplier, very few suppliers. And that's a, a problem. Mon- with that. That's called a mon- <laughs> monopoly. All kinds yeah. of problems there. All right. Uh, we should get going. What's next? What is next? We also how have long, a beer How long is this? Ooh, wow. Nice. Yeah, we have a long list. Oh, we have a beer to drink? We right. have a beer to Let's drink. Let's get to that after this one. Yeah, this one's pretty fun. Um, so this one I'm going to – you're going to – this brings you, you into this. It was kind of fun, so I'm glad I'm reading it. All right, we'll break for a little lighter news. Former former Dallas Cowboy quarterback Troy Aikman, you know Troy, you remember Troy, you're old. I know Troy. Yeah. Uh, has released his own beer called Eight. It is a Texas-only rival for Michelob Light with 90 calories and or, made with organic malts. However, there's an interesting uh, Oregon connection. Aikman's team worked with Oregon State's Food Sciences Department to develop the beer. As you should. <laughs> Pretty cool. Quoting now from a uh, Business Wire article, quote, Tom Shellhammer and Jeff Clausen led R&D efforts at Oregon State, aided by award-winning brewmaster Phil Leinhart, a beer veteran whose resume spans the brewing spectrum, including Anheuser-Busch Harpoon Brewery and the Brewery Omegang. Doug Campbell, previously president of Brewery Omegang and a longtime industry leader, joins Aikman as co-founder. So if you go back in the archives, you will actually find a podcast in which we visit Shellhammer and Clausen, uh, and talk to them and go to the, the cool and the brewery Oregon on their, State, they're on your campus. I forget exactly the, what they call it, the Oregon State Experimental Brewery or Pilot Brewery or Research, yeah. research Brewery, something like that. Yeah, and I think it, it was funded by uh, a Gambrinus, Carlos Alvarez, and it might even have some name in there too. The Carlos Alvarez Research. Yeah, or the, or <laughs> or the, the Gambrinus, Gambrinus Research. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and um, this is really going into the weeds, but you know, there's the whole food science little uh, uh, building in uh, uh, Portland, in North, not North Portland. Oh, North that's Portland. not where I, uh, I, that's not where I thought you were headed. What what are you talking about? I'm just letting you know that if you're interested in Oregon State food science, there's a food science research lab 
that's uh, um, on the I'm trying to think of what we call that neighborhood but it's the thing that's on the Willamette River up on the west side but north of the Broadway Bridge <laughs> anyway, it's up there. <laughs> it's a <laughs> well, that's convoluted. I uh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, I only uh, you, you know how I know this. Well, I've seen it a few times, but I didn't really. I kind of clicked that there's the Oregon State logo on it. But uh, my wife has taken her third graders there, and they learn about like making food products, and it's where things like um, uh, Bob's Red Mill is now kind of a national brand. Uh huh. Their little oatmeal cups were were designed like the flavors they figured out how to make nice flavors for us so, there cool. you go yeah so this is a fascinating project uh, let's, get, let's get back to the beer so uh i've i've pitched a podcast as you well know uh and it was rejected by the producer and editor of this podcast that we should do a a ultra light beer taste off uh in the Michelob ultra vein and it sounds like this is um something similar yeah, I, I'd be cool. I, did I reject that? Someone, yes. Oh, I rejected that. Yeah, hard reject from my from my referee, well, <laughs> as we would say in academics. Well, I, I got to- a desk reject from you. <laughs> That's stupid. Actually, uh, no, you didn't entirely reject it, but uh, it turns out that it's in Portland. It's kind of hard to find those beers. That's right. We actually did. I we kind of we both kind of looked around and we didn't find much, so we shelved that idea. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. they'll be coming back once the Troy Aikman beer comes online. Well, it's only supposed to be sold in Texas, and the thing is, I don't understand what they're doing. This seems like a disastrous idea to me. I can't imagine this is going to succeed. Uh, it seems like you'd have to have a tremendous amount of money because this is basically a, a marketing project, and but you've got to have. And you're going right after the big boys. You're going right after the hardest market out there, uh, people who have. But it's Troy Aikman, man, and it's, it's Texas. It's Troy Aikman, and it's the Cowboys. And I wonder how Texas breaks now. Like, does the do the Houston Texans actually? Does anybody care, or is it still no. just Cowboy Company? Well, I, I don't know. The Texans have been so bad for so long, I can't imagine it. Uh, they've got some pretty good people behind it. They might actually make a beer that doesn't taste like crap. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, they, they're they using some weird hop in there, some German hop I'd never heard of uh, from Hollertau, and then the, the organic stuff. I don't know. That even also seems, seems weird, because is that going to be... And why would you want organic malt? Does anyone care about organic malt? In they- that market? I can't imagine. So it's going to be know, a, it's going to cost you more, which means you're already at a competitive disadvantage because there's no way they have a plant big enough to compete with Michelob Ultra. I mean, come on. I know, I know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the price point is going to be a real issue. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a premium price. So will people buy Troy Aikman's beer for a premium price? I, but I really want to try it. So Texas-based listeners... Yeah, send some, and we'll. Um, well, we could even ping our. Give you one of our mythical T-shirts that don't exist. You could even ping your colleagues, and maybe they have some. Ooh, that's true. Yeah, they okay. should be in the loop, right? You'd think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Speaking of interesting beer projects, ooh, you're gonna love this segue. I've got one right here. Wow, nicely done. Thank you. That's semi pro level. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> this is also a collaboration. All right. So tell us what this is. This is a dark, luscious something. Yeah, that's, I, I was, uh, so I poured it out of a growler because I got it from the pub yesterday and Sally had a pint last night and I wasn't really sure how the growler was. about the carbonation, but yeah. look at that luscious head, creamy. Very good. Ooh. So Alan Taylor and I, uh, Alan Taylor at Zoigle House, friend of the pod, of mm-hmm. course, uh, he long ago said he knows about my affection for Ufleku and, and dark lagers in general. Uh, and oh. we've been conspiring to do an Ufleku style Czech dark lager. <sighs> 
And the best part about this is now that I've had this, you'll never have to mention one more time that I didn't when I was in Prague. (laughs) That's right. That's right. How how authentic? This tastes fantastic to me, by the way. It. I think. I think it's really, really good. And so I Mm. have to, you know, I have to confess that, uh, like a proud parent, I'm not 100% unbiased. Um, But the the thing about Ufleku. It's a it's a style of Czech dark lager that you don't find typically made, and I think part of it is because it's a brew pub. You got to go to Prague. You got to actually, when you're in Prague, you actually have got to go to the brew pub and drink the beer. Just saying, uh, some of my best friends have been to Prague and failed to get the beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and because it's not exported or even bottled, not so many people have had it, and it's sort of unusual. And the reason it's unusual is because it has uh, it's a thirteen. Uh, degree beer, mm-hmm. which in the Czech numerical system indicates these these indicate gravity, and that that would be typically a fairly a, a stronger beer. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are this Uflekus is engineered to be uh, have a lot of residual sugars, mm-hmm. and so it's only four point six percent. Wow! And the cool thing that happens is you but get it is full bodied. It's, it's really full. It's very creamy. It's very rich and silky, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's really nice to have done this thing because now I kind of understand Ufleku better. There's a fair amount of roast in it. And in fact, when we made it, we thought it was going to be over roasty. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not a super big fan of super roasty beers, but it really subdues into the background. It does. I mean, it's on I, the nose pretty well. Exactly. It's pretty roasty. And you think, ooh, it's going to be really roasty. But when you drink it, it's just like silky, a little sweet. Uh, yeah. And, and the, a little, little roast at the back of the tongue. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it finishes at uh, 4.4 Play-Doh, something like that, which is uh, 10, uh, 18, something like that, for those of you who are in the other, use the other one, which for a beer like this is, is quite a lot of residual sugar. Right. So it, it, it really offsets that. It retains that mouthfeel, that silky. But it's but it's still pretty Moorish, which is what I like. It doesn't with all that sweetness. Yeah, well, you, you can see. I, yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> I'm just slowing it down. I was very pleased when you got to the point where it was only four point four. You said six. Six. Yeah. Is that true of this one as well? Yep. Okay. Good. Yep. <laughs> because, yeah. Alan because nailed this it. This is about to get interesting. <laughs> uh, no, this is nine percent. Uh, nice, <laughs> nice lacing. Look at the lacing yeah, of the head, which is impressive given that it's uh, been sitting in this growler overnight. So. I love this. Mm. Yeah, I really do too. And I, you know, dark beers can be hit and miss for me. I know. Oh, so good. By the way, you poured this in a, a Rosenstadt dimple glass, so I'm going to take the moment to say there are a few adventures I had in beer because I was invited out to the coast by a friend who brought a lot of, he knew I was a beer fan, so brought a lot of great beers. Uh, and he's a big Rosenstadt fan. So the Rosenstadt Fest beer uh, and there's a Rosenstadt Dunkel. Both are fabulous. This is Dunkel season, and uh, I should go see if I can find some Rosenstadt Dunkel. I really like their beer. It's, mm. uh, it, they actually make that year round, but it's this is nice. Dunkel. Yeah, but uh, I had a Dunkel. I'm not. I'm not sure I had one before, and it's another one of those darker beers. That's lovely, lovely. But this is this is fab. This is such a clean, lovely. That guy kind of knows how to brew beer, huh? He does, and he. I, I can't remember if he's had Uflaku, but it's been. It's kind of too long for him to remember because we really talked about it a lot and in these collaborations so the one that I did with Freem was a, a, a like a 
a 19th century Vienna lager like the founder Anton Dreyer might have made it. Right, but that doesn't currently exist. So that doesn't, no, yeah, because it's no. really the style has really evolved. There's no, uh, there's no uh, current comparator. Yeah, so when I do these collaborations, I tend to be the person who describes the vision of the beer, and then it's like, okay, professional brewer, now you got to make that go. <laughs> uh, and what is known about Ufleco? Do they? Do you know the kind of malt, the kind of hops, all that? Um, yeah, the interesting thing about Ufleku is brewers uh, that is a tourist trap and, and locals say don't bother that that's true too okay. but the beer itself doesn't have a fixed recipe and your it, friend might have have asked locals what where to go and been dissuaded from Ufleku. Uh <laughs> that's also true uh, but you should have listened to me when I told you to go <laughs> damn it um, yeah so the, the, the beer actually changes a little bit and I think the key thing uh, is that it, it, it what makes this beer work for me is that roastiness uh, which becomes subdued uh, on the palate, gives it enough bite so that when you swallow, despite all that sweetness, it's it's crisp. And then, of course, the lager also helps it yeah. go down a little bit more smooth than it would be if it were an ale at this strength. So this is its own category? It's not a Tamave Lejac? Yeah, it's a Tamave. It, it, is, it would be classified as a Tamave Lejac okay. uh, or a Chirine Lejac. I, the, that means either dark or black and in the check, you can do whatever you want. Those styles, they, they, it's just like they pick them at random. In fact, I was emailing with the uh, the folks at Ufleku trying to hammer this down for ah. uh, my, my homebrew book. And the guy sent me a bunch of uh, pictures of beer. And then he had a key down below it. And they were like various <laughs> levels of brown to black. Uh-huh. And they they were just totally random. The Chernay and Tamave, it was just, it was like mix and match. I had nothing to do with what the beer looked like. So uh, that's yeah. good. That's funny. Uh, though it, it is cool in, in, in Czech, uh, Ufleku calls this a Flekovsky, uh, Tamave or Lejac, um, not a Tamave Lejac because it's such an iconic beer. Right. They've kind of given it their own thing, which is cool. So I I am calling this a Prague style tamage tamave. Well to cheers indicate. to you and Alan Taylor at Zorgo House for he really, brewing he, a beautiful, beautiful beer. It's yeah, fantastic. he really outdid himself and I think, you know, this is the kind of beer that does not come native to him. He's a German guy, a German brewing guy, yeah. so he used all uh uh Czech malt, and the amazing thing is he, there's two floor malt, malted varieties, Pilsner and then this darker one, which is basically Munich, and this is 60% the darker one, ah. so and only 30% uh, Pilsner malt, so it's it's quite full that way. Yeah. So anyway, that's probably another reason why I didn't finish out as much. Well, so. thanks for sharing, and I have yeah. another bottle in my fridge, so I'm excited. Yeah, it's true, <laughs> which you forgot, which is clever of you. Yeah, now you saw my evil plan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that's really cool. Uh, Drink this, it fast, though, because it was not properly bottled. It was like a growler. So. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, uh, this will be draft only at Zoigel House. Yes. So if you want to find it, got to go to Zoigel House. And got to go there now. Is it ready now? It's on tap. It went on tap on Wednesday as I as we record this, and it's it's a it's a uh, Friday. And by the time this airs, uh, it will be. A week, a week later. Yeah. So how it'll, much it'll did, been on tap for a week already. How much did you make? Uh, he made us just one batch, so it's like 10 barrels. So Ooh, Okay, get there quick. Yep. And if you do, and it really succeeds, he'll make more. 
but if it if it completely craps out and nobody buys it, they'll never make it again. Yeah, so. if you like it, make sure you let people know. Yeah. Another big and developing story that has gotten worse and worse the more people report it. Oh, Mee Keller has become the poster brewery for toxic work environments. The story dates back to July when the first reports came out about the workplace situation. Mee Keller has then played defense while reports trickled out that leaders had known about the situation as early as 2017. Yeah, this has been amazing. I, as I'm traveling around, uh, Kate Bernat at Good Beer Hunting has mm-hmm. been the reporter who's really, this has been her, her beat. Mm-hmm. Every couple of weeks, there's a new report about bad behavior that McKellar knew about, they were trying to hide, that the founder was doing bad stuff. It was just, it's just it's like worse and worse and worse. And it, it feels like nice. such an ongoing disaster. And um, I don't know how many brewers in this situation, but uh, if you want to find out how not to handle a situation, this is a perfect example. <laughs> read, what, read what Kate has written at Good Beer Hunting and uh, don't do that. <laughs> like, come clean. Do the opposite. Yes, come clean, fix your culture, um, and yeah, don't try to conceal everything. It's been really bad. and uh, it, you know, It's so disappointing. It's really disappointing. We're in this moment where, where people are really trying to uh, be inclusive and open the industry up to women and BIPOC folk and uh, this is not a it's just it goes to show that there has been a, a, a pernicious problem I think McKellar is probably worse than you know they have the worse situation there it's not a it's not a typical case but um, but it just goes to show that there's a lot of work to be done yeah I think I think one takeaway from all of this and I think it's true of any workplace environment certainly mine and is that uh, uh, just being, um, uh, just going with the flow and assuming that good people will do good things is generally not enough, right? right. You have to have you have to be proactive about workplace culture and proactive about uh, being inclusive. And um, I really uh, think that's true pretty much across the board. So if you're a, you know, if and I think in a lot of this is not this case. I'm not defending McKellar at all. But I'm just saying if you're a, if you're a, a, a brewery starting out, you start small, maybe with a couple of people that you know well, and and you don't have to think about that stuff as much. But as soon as you start growing and start having employees, you really got to be very conscious and, and think about how you're you're doing these things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not not so much more to say there, I guess. Um, but yeah, do better. <laughs> do better. Yeah. And McKellar is here too. So. Yeah, they're a worldwide company now. Big company. Yeah. We do have news of mergers and acquisitions, which seems like a big portion of our news. Uh, Usually, yeah, good. So, yeah. so, here, so let, let's let's <laughs> Don't touch, want to disappoint the fans. That's right. Let's touch on that because we have there were two really big ones uh, when uh, over the last few months. Um, so here we go. Uh, first, the parent company of Sweetwater cannabis giant Afria. Announced it was acquiring Green Flash, which also own, owns Alpine, a brewery that has fallen on very hard times in recent years. By contrast, Kieran owned Lion Little World Beverages, bought Bells last month, and that's Michigan's Bells, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the most successfully and successful and healthy of the founding era U.S. craft breweries. And it's it's interesting because these two acquisitions seem to be for opposite reasons uh-huh. and it's kind of it's kind of a fascinating case study of what's going on in the industry right now um i, I it's found so so what are the opposite reasons in your mind well green flash was a brewery uh that built a uh it, it's a san diego 
yep. founded in San Diego and they built a brewery somewhere else, Midwest <laughs> or West coast or <laughs> East coast or something uh-huh. and overexpanded, got in big trouble, yep. crashed and burned. They had, they had acquired Alpine some years before that was not the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, uh, their, their volume just dropped precipitously. Right. And, and as a, as a company and as a brand, they were really just fighting to stay alive. And I'm not totally sure what Sweetwater's end game was in buying them. They seemed like fairly damaged good goods. Whereas Bell's on the other hand is this incredibly rare unicorn in the mm-hmm. craft brewing world where, uh, they have uh, Larry Bell's company is still making two hearted ale, uh, a mid nineties <laughs> yeah. uh, IPA that continues to grow, uh, it's volume. It's one of the best selling IPAs in America. <laughs> They're <laughs> one of the amazing. most, yeah, it's a really amazing. One of the most beloved brands. If you meet anybody from the Midwest, I will go on and on and on about how awesome bells is. Um, and so for Kieran to pick them up and Kieran, a couple of years ago, picked up new Belgium. So now they own these two pieces of yeah, the American and Fuller's pie. in the UK and right? Fuller's in the, yeah, is it, yeah. is it, is it Fuller's in the UK or is that Asahi? I can never remember. Oh, it might be Asahi. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I might be uh, confusing those. So that's an interesting, they are, they're clearly, they did not buy, it was not a fire sale. Buying Bell's was not a fire sale. That was perhaps, you know, Bell's, New Glarus, Sierra Nevada. There's not very many breweries where, where you have everything aligned perfectly. Yeah. Uh, but Bell's was one of them. And so that is a huge, huge, huge sale. And I remember from you or from some other beer writer that, uh, there was kind of um, not a clear, um, like you know, family transition for Bell's, and so it was just kind of time. Yeah, Bell's had cultivated his daughter to take it over, right? And then she decided she didn't want to do that, right? And so uh, there was no no real way to go yeah. there. I'm really fascinated by Too Hearted. Do you, do you know? Do they tinker with it? Oh, year over year, or is it still the same recipe from 1995 or whatever it was? I'm sure they've tinkered with it a little bit, but boy, it sure tastes old school to Does me. It? Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's fascinating a, that it's still growing. Yeah, it's totally <laughs> fascinating. It's right, a, and I have, a, I have another. So I, I, I'm uh, I'm noticing a trend among San Diego breweries that go crazy and then crash and burn. Mm. Maybe there's not a trend, but I'm thinking I'm thinking of course of Ballast Point, Green Flash, maybe a little. A uh, bit of uh, uh, um, oh, why am I blanking on um, the big one? Stone. Stone. Thank you. I would not say a little bit. I would say Stone is really a, a brewery looking for an identity right now, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's interesting. In next week's episode, stay tuned for next week's episode <laughs> okay. when I talk about what I discovered traveling around. I spent four days in San Diego, so for the first time, I really got to immerse myself in the San Diego culture, and it was perhaps the most intriguing place to visit. Um, and and because it's in this weird transitional phase, yeah. Um, so nice yeah. tease, good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know about the sweet water green flash thing. Uh, what more to say about that? Yeah, I don't either. Except that 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 company, Afria, who mm-hmm. bought Sweetwater and now bought Green Flash. Like Sweetwater has the kind of a ganja identity and always has right. done, uh, but. Um, they're getting into CBD tonics and weird, all kinds of weird stuff. And I don't know, maybe green flash. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's a way to, to repurpose some time equipment bottling for other things too. Maybe that's part of it. Like we can pivot a bit. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. Just speculation. I, I, (laughs) it's, uh, it's not one that made a huge amount of sense to me, but it was interesting. And 
that's sort of where the green flash story is today. All right. Moving down the list. We'll surely hear more news about how breweries fared in 2021, but the Brewers Association has already released findings about their members. Numbers. Uh, numbers. <laughs> Openings, 217. Uh, 710. Don't ask me how yes. I, uh, I saw 710 and got to, <laughs> what did I say? 270? You're an economist. No that idea. makes me doubt all of your research now. <laughs> All my findings are wrong. Child labor is good. What are you talking about? Uh, closings, 176. I think I was ahead of myself. Yeah, I think so. Uh, now more than nine. Oh, wait a minute. So 710 opened, only 176 closed. Yeah. Which is in 2021, middle of Corona. So that's interesting. It is interesting. Now more than 9,000 breweries in the United States. Woohoo! That's yeah. something to celebrate. It is. And and the I, as far as their early numbers suggest their membership grew, uh, volumes grew too. So even in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, um, things were pretty good for small breweries. Uh, I think they're less good for bigger breweries, but um, yeah. we'll hear more about that. It's um, it's just barely the first of the year, so it'll, it'll take a couple of months for all the numbers to come in. But we'll learn about how Bud Light and you know big brands like that are probably not as well off as little brands. Maybe, yeah. It's it's hard to say because, I mean, the one thing about a brewery is you can, you know, you've got the package option. So you're not necessarily, brew pubs, obviously a little bit more uh, foot traffic driven. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, I guess this is a good way, place to show Shorn in a, this little uh, communication we had with our friend of the pod, uh, Josh Laner, who's a Oregon State economist. Not, yes. Who is a state of Oregon economist. Right. <laughs> uh, who was interested in some uh, little early data points that came in and noticed a number of uh, licenses expire, left uh, expiring in the brewery space uh, in Oregon. And he thought that was pretty high and a little surprising. So I wonder if more mature markets are having a little, a little bit tougher time. And there's still a lot of... Uh, 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 virgin markets that are getting expanded. Yeah, I think we we really need to. Uh, this stuff is so hard to figure out. Um, I do wonder if uh, some brew pubs were able to hang on with PPP loans and other things for a while, um, and it prolonged their demise into 2021 from 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're seeing more failures of those kinds in 2021 than we did in 2020 when I would have expected it. Yeah. Uh, I also do wonder too if it's just a like you know we're seeing in the job market many people are saying this is a great opportunity for me to switch careers or get out of this dead end job or you know yeah. make a change and uh, you know American Craft Brewing has been around forty two years now something like that so mm-hmm. a lot of people have owned businesses for a long time and maybe they're looking at the Omicron and uh, the end you know Delta wave Omicron wave the endless waves and just feeling like this is as good a time as any to get out. I wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, and there's also the opposite effect, the pull effect, which is that there's probably a lot of decent jobs out there now. That uh, that's the residual effect of all of this right tight labor market. So, if you were considering trying something new, it might be a time to do it. Yeah, yeah. the other thing, you know, uh, uh, we love craft beer. Craft beer is fantastic. People who make good craft beer are amazing. But uh, there's a lot of parts of the job that aren't nearly as glamorous, I think, as people imagine when they first start and think about doing their homebrew full time. Yeah, we might uh, want to do a uh, beeronomics at some point, but there's some real pressures that are hitting the market right now too. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, this this Bell's thing is just one example of of one of the pressures. You're mm-hmm. seeing consolidation in um, the distribution tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like aluminum and glass are more expensive. Uh, we didn't. I didn't put it on here. I probably should have. In fact, I'm just going to mention it now. The barley harvest uh, in 2021 was abysmal. Absolutely catastrophic. Really? Terrible. Oh, I never read a thing about it. Yeah, it's down like 35%. Wow. And the barley that came out was crappy. It's very, very high uh, protein. Uh, and they're figuring uh, that they're going to have to blend it with 2020 and probably blend it again with 2022 uh-huh. just to make it so that it kind of hits specs. It's marketable. Yeah. But it's going to be way expensive. And so that's a big issue. Um, and then uh, Input I would be, I'd be curious to hear what you have to say about inflation and whether we should be worried about that. Like if you're a, if you're a oh, brewer, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's make this a little bit podcast specific. If you're a brewer right now and you're looking at all these pressures, should you be worried about uh, inflation or should you think that it's going to settle back down or what, like if you're setting prices and thinking about your budget in 2022, what should you be doing? It's an excellent question. And it's a really difficult question, <laughs> especially the, just the worried part. Because there's two sides of inflation, right? Which is things are getting more expensive for me, but I can also potentially charge more for my product. Right. But this is the this is the dynamic that economists worry about is when producers like a brewer <clears throat> start uh, pricing in future inflation into their, um, for example, wages they pay. Mm-hmm. Right. That's when sort of inflation gets baked in. It's like, well, <clears throat> inflation's happening, and so I probably better raise wages and I got to need to raise wages to keep workers. Uh, but that's okay because I'll be able to charge, you know, 5% more for my beer in the future. And so I'll go ahead and give them a 5% raise now, but now you're basically locked into that 5% increase in beer prices. And then because you're locked in, everyone else is locked in prices go up. You got to pay more for wages because they need cost of living adjustments and so on. And so that's the cycle that economists worry about. Uh-huh. Um, and so that question is, and that's not a good thing. You know, once we get high inflation, then that's kind of bad for everybody because then what you have is high interest rates and, and uh, less money floating around, less and it's harder to invest. People spend less and so on and so forth. So yes. just get more cautious. So yes, I mean, there's an overall worry. Uh, in the short term, it's really hard to know right now because it's really hard to know how much is this um, temporary uh, supply and demand shocks that we're seeing. I mean, the, the economy is just all out of whack, right? Because people's consumption patterns are so different than they were pre-coronavirus. Uh, the supply chain is all messed up, as we know, as well. And mm-hmm. so there's all these mismatches. Uh, this is where I'm going to sound like a traditional neoclassical economist and say, I think the good thing is that all of this information is very quickly transmitted via price. So when you see these high prices, that's bad potentially in in uh, uh, inflationary terms, but it's good in the sense that that information is getting transmitted very quickly. And that means there's often a very quick response because people are chasing those extra profits, right? Wow, suddenly I can make a lot more money if I can get my ship with containers across the ocean and get it unloaded. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. So there are ways in which uh, those prices serve their purpose as a signal and get the right supply and demand responses in return. Um, So the big question though, is how much of this is transitory and how much is permanent. And I think, you know, I was a real transitory guy for a little while and I'm not a macroeconomist, so you really shouldn't listen to me anyway, but uh, I, I pay enough attention. Um, I'm a little more concerned. I still think it'll unravel 
uh, reasonably quickly. And every time I think that, then, you know, a, a new, well, a new variant comes <laughs> along and there's other right. issues. And, you know, now suddenly, I mean, we have these very significant shocks, like just take, you mentioned airlines, right? Like suddenly there's thousands fewer flights right. happening every day. Right. Um, so, you know, there's another shock. I still think in the long term, it's not as big a concern, but it's already gone on long enough that the Fed's going to react and that means higher interest rates and that means things will slow down and it's not great for anybody. I don't think it's, I mean, in the brewing industry, because of things like barley, there might be a particular concern, but in general, I don't think it's uh, uh, enough to lose sleep over right now. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. And I mean, I guess the one thing about having barley prices go up and having to worry about raising the price of beer. I mean, the one comforting thing is that product prices are going up anyway. And so it wouldn't seem so, it wouldn't be such an anomaly. And in, in, in an industry like uh, brewing, especially craft brewing on the smaller scale side, uh, you expect fluctuations like that. And it's built into the, the you know, your budget model. Yeah. Um, you, you know that some years barley is going to be really cheap and some years it's going to be expensive. And mm-hmm. um, you kind of you know, you, you, <laughs> that's that's baked into the cake. Yeah, uh, and luckily, there's the, a lot of light loggers and pilsners and things that are getting more and more popular. So there's ways to brew without a ton of barley in your. Grist. Yeah, it's. I, I think you're right. It's the uh, the uh, the wages is probably a much bigger thing because once you raise somebody's salary, you're not gonna. You're yeah, not and gonna that's a double of, whammy because there's a tight labor market plus you right. know cost of living adjustments plus. Um, the particular uh, 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 increases in other costs for a brewer than, and I feel like we've gone for so long without raising uh, wages that we've been sitting on that 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 reset needed to happen for a long time. So we're this has been the moment when when we're paying the piper for a lot of really exploitative and cheap labor that we've had for a long time. Yeah, so. yeah, and it's less true like, for small brewers, but there's a lot of you know for bigger companies. You know, profits have been really high, and executive compensation has been really, really high. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, weep for <laughs> any of these sob stories that big companies are putting out. Yeah. <laughs> how wage wage costs are so high. It's about time. It is. Uh, in November, Deschutes Brewery, our local Deschutes Brewery, announced it was closing its Roanoke Tap Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, presumably ending the Oregon company's plans to expand to the East Coast. So uh, as a backgrounder, they had purchased a large parcel uh, of, of land near Roanoke. 40 some odd acres. For, for, yeah, 40 some odd acres. And they were going to build a big brewery out there, kind of like Green Flash and others did. Um, Sierra Nevada. But fortunately, they were acting. And and I think for the early, early movers who had big footprints like Sierra Nevada, it really worked out. But others, because uh, Sierra Nevada sells a million barrels of beer. Uh, but for others who were doing that thing where you you make a giant capital investment based mm-hmm. on the assumption of expanded sales down the line, yeah. um, all of that expansion happened exactly at the moment things sort of leveled off. So those expanded sales never happened, and then these breweries were left holding these giant, uh, you know, debt, this giant debt, and they were in trouble. Fortunately, I guess you could say fortunately, uh, Deschutes was slow to act, and so by the time they were kind of getting ready to go, they saw that the, the the trends and they had not made a big capital investment yet. Yeah. So. I mean, uh, slow to act or, or, or judiciously cautious. cautious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be very good in the end. It really did. Yeah. So apparently they still have this big parcel of land. Uh, if they're smart, I think they should hold on to it uh, for now. Um, but uh, yeah, 
uh, it doesn't surprise me. It, it's kind of it was kind of a little of a black swan. This sort of Roanoke tap room. They probably had to ship a lot of beer across country just to just to support it. So it probably was not a cheap under undertaking. Right, right. and uh, I, that was that was really a storefront for uh, you know creating interest for the brewery. For the brand, yeah, and- getting the brand <laughs> sort of a, a tent a, a tent pole for the for the brand on the East Coast. And, yeah, you know. uh, that's. I mean, it's too bad, but I think that the retrenchment that Deschutes has done is is probably good, and I think um, uh, the. In their investment in Boneyard is going to prove to be a pretty decent bet. Yeah, it seems like it. Um, still a really popular brand, as far as I can tell. Yeah, uh, I see. I see Boneyard in the, the grocery stores all the time now. Yeah, so um, yeah, seems like they're selling. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see long term which which way the shoots goes and if ever it gets revived. I kind of doubt it, but um, you never know. You never know. Yeah, yeah. As we talked prior to taping, my great. Uh, pitch, which I pitched to Gary Fish himself, president, founder of Deschutes, yeah, was to just start a brand new brewery with a brand new, just a brand new brewery, new brand, new everything, just start it from scratch. Uh, he didn't think much of that idea. No, he didn't. No one else did either. I, I, I did. I thought it was an interesting idea, and I thought of it as an interesting idea, partly just philosophically. Like, Ooh, that'd be a fun experiment to try on your money. With your brand. But that's it. Like he has all this experience, all this brand experience, uh, brewing, uh, knowledge. I mean, you know. The Cavaliers Blade Brewing Company. Probably not that, no. But something. something. Yeah, something. I don't know. What's a, what's a river uh, uh, a river near Roanoke? So you can sort of match the little river theme that it shoots. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, finally, in the news of the weird, oh, good, I'm glad I didn't do this one. Twitter fans were perplexed to find a tweet from Pabst on January 3rd reading, not drinking this January, try eating ass. <laughs> what did you set me up for? Although so company- it, it, it was, it was a, apparently a re- reference to dry January, just to uh-huh. set that up. <laughs> Although the company deleted the tweet and apologized later, they gave no explanation for how this could have happened. It was remarkable. The entire big Twitter was just like, what is happening? <laughs> it's like I'm glad they didn't use the, oh, we were hacked line, which is usually what you say when one of your employees does something stupid. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like the marketing director's 15-year-old son picked up his dad's phone. and, and Now that would that be hilarious. <laughs> even if that wasn't true, that's exactly what they should have put out there. <laughs> Yeah, because I've been there. I know exactly how that can happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was one of the most bizarre things ever, and I don't know what you do when that stuff happens. <laughs> I mean, I, I I would have made a. I think I would have done a little bit more than apologize. I think I probably would have fired that guy, and I assume it's a guy. It seems like a very guy like tweet, but um, yeah, I don't know. That was wow. You're harsh, man. Just fire everybody. Yeah, I like I like this. Just like no explanation, it makes it even more meta that way. And no, that is true. And just that's it. Like, I mean, I'm not. That a, was mysterious, wasn't it? I'm not Figure a giant. I'm not a giant firer, but you got one job, right? You're a social <laughs> media guy. Like that. That, that is malpractice. Whatever you do, don't tweet about eating ass. <laughs> yeah, like anything just... else is fine. You know your job. We're not going to interfere. Yeah, we <laughs> want to give you. We want you to be edgy and and drive traffic. But yeah. You, get, you had one job. That's just ridiculous. 
Uh, clearly, our dry January is done. Uh, do you subscribe to any of this? Let's take a month off. I don't. Uh, and in fact, I wrote a thing a year or two ago, which I re-upped on Twitter, uh, which in which I, I would argue that if you have an issue with alcohol, it's better to have a holistic approach uh, and and find a way to be moderate. Let's be moderate all year round yeah. instead of using being, a dry January as an excuse to have a really boozy December or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I agree with that, actually. And I get it. You know, around the holidays, we, we may drink more than we normally do. And it's kind of nice to have a, a little fast. But um, yeah, coming coming into some kind of relationship with alcohol that's healthy and, and sustaining is probably the the highest goal there. Yeah. So. I do think it's also true that you can have that and still do a dry January just as a give yourself a break. So I, I know. It's true. And there were a lot of people who wrote uh, various uh, nuanced tweets in response sure. um, talking about the other health benefits. Like there's a lot of calories in beer and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. You spend a lot of money on beer. Like there's a lot of things, it's a lot of, a lot of benefits if you're doing a dry January. So I don't mean to be, uh, too harsh about that so but finding 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 balance is good that was that's one thing i will say absolutely however however it works um balance is good and a healthy relationship with alcohol is essential indeed so uh, i'll leave it at that uh well now we're up to date this is not one of those podcasts that'll age well um so get it while it's fresh <laughs> i guess you just have since i'm talking at the end of the podcast that's right <laughs> if you're listening to this for, in 2028 Sorry. <laughs> well, it might be fascinating as like a time capsule. Oh, wow. Pabst tweeted about eating ass. And <laughs> yeah, that is true. 2021. So 2022, was it? In January? Yeah. Uh, it's 2022, old man. Yeah. Well, I was. I didn't know if that tweet came out just before or just after. Oh, uh, just that after. one did come out in 2022, yeah. All right. A few words going out. Please subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So please send your questions or comments to jeff at beervonablog.com or on Twitter at beervonapod. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at Beervana. And Patrick tweets at Beernomics. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> and uh, the beer, the beer pod Twitter feed has been dead as a doornail. But now that we're back in the saddle, and we'll the Instagram to... has been even deader. Yeah, well, even you started though, that. Well, I know, but even though I expected like little instas from various spots in the United States, I got it a f- been obvious and easy. I got a few of them out. But you're old, and oh, did you? Yeah. That in fact, we'll save this. We'll save this for next week when we talk about this. Okay. But. Uh, the podcast listeners came out and saw me and we continued the brown ale theme. There was like this brown ale thing that continued to follow me around the country, which was nice. really awesome. So nice. yeah, that was cool. All right. Well, it's time to cheers with this, uh, uh, Ufleku style. I don't know what they're calling it. What is the name of it? Uh, Prague style. Prague style. Tamave. Tamave. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. Or as they say in Prague. Mazdravi. Mazdravi.